0: All right, then, let's go to Ezekiel 16. I've <clears throat> used considerable time, but I'll try to get through this uh, today in a shorter sermon. <clears throat> yeah, he says that, they say. Uh, but we have been over this material actually several times, if not many times, in part, in the last 11 years since we began to understand the prophecies the way they are intended to be understood in terms of the church first and secondarily the nation and the world. But before we go into Ezekiel 16, which talks about someone here and God calls a harlot, I want to go back and briefly review what we went through in the uh, Minor Prophets series, and even more specifically then in the Babylon series, uh, a great whore in the book of Revelation, chapter 17. <clears throat> because we're dealing with a different whore, to some degree, <coughs> in parts of these prophecies. Chapter 17 of Revelation. There came one of the seven angels, said the seven vials, to talk with me, saying to me, Come here, I will show to you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters. So here is the great whore, the church, and much of the world, especially the Protestant world, has said that the Catholic church is this great whore. And I think that we saw very clearly in detail from quite a few scriptures that the great whore is America today, not the Catholic Church. Now, the Catholic Church has gone a-whoring away from God, there's no doubt of that. But the Catholic Church does not fit all the biblical definitions of the great whore of Revelation 17 and 18. Never has, never will. This is a great whore that sits upon many waters, or people as is exposed, is, is, people and nations, as is explained later. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So this great whore is riding this beast. The woman is arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So she has royal colors. She must have some connection with riches and royal colors, which originally sprang from God. And yet she's riding this beast, and I think that this is a sexual connotation in terms of writing, not mounted on the back of a lion or a bear or something, because it, the uh, analogy is of a sexual situation, a whore. And upon our forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Pretty severe judgment upon this lady you could call her a lady, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Christ, or Emmanuel, and when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration, or awe, wow, this is something. The angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her. And I won't go into the detail there, uh, but it explains a little later that uh, there is ten horns and king, ten kings coming, uh, and they'll have one hour with the beast. Give their strength to the beast. Verse 14, These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. So this is something that happens right at the very end, that this beast will fight Christ. And we can see a little later on here that the beast and the false prophet are taken by Christ and thrown in the lake of fire. So, if it was a church... The false prophets would die earlier because it shows that this beast turns on this woman and kills her. And yet, the scriptures show that Christ will throw the beast and the false prophets into a lake of fire. So both the beast and the false prophet are around until the very end of it all. But we'll see here in a moment that this this woman is killed by the beast. Verse 15, he said to me, the waters which you saw, where this whore sits, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues, languages. So she has an influence in all nations, peoples, and languages. It's a worldwide influence, not just something local. And the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. So the ten leaders of ten divisions of the earth, as it will be divided up between the beast and the false prophet, are going to hate this woman. And shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree and give their kingdom to the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So this is to be a city, a people, a nation, that reigns over the rest of the earth. Pretty much. Or has great influence there. And then it talks, chapter 18, verse 2, about Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit in the cage of every unclean and hateful bird, or demons. For all nations have drunk with the, of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Now, if you read this whole thing and you don't have a Protestant mindset, you should be able to immediately see that this is not just a religious thing, but it has to do with money and merchants and becoming rich. So, this woman has made the kings of the earth rich. First point, has the Catholic Church made nations rich? Where the Catholic Church has had influence... You find mostly poor nations, South America, Mexico, because the Catholic Church comes in and takes away wealth. They do not come in and give wealth. They take it away. So the Catholic Church is already inconsistent with this story. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. That you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. God's people are going to be in the midst of this great horror, whoever she is. Okay? Another clue. Where are most of those whom God has called today? Most are right here in America and Canada. And he tells us to come out from her. Not partake of her sins and her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So it is a physical nation we're talking about here that has God's called out ones at the end time, because this is an end time prophecy very clearly. It is a nation where a majority of God's end time people are. And they are to come out from her, to be separate from her. Because she is going to have physical plagues and be destroyed. And if you don't want destroyed, then you don't act and be like her. Okay? Reward her even as she rewarded you and double to her double according to her works, the cup in which she has filled filled her to her double. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously. Is that the way the Catholics live? Well, the, the priests and nuns are supposed to declare penury, poverty. Celibacy. Is that the way the Catholic Churches live? Sex is only for appropriation, only to have children. It's nasty and dirty otherwise. That's what they teach their people. Well, this is a white lady that has lived, glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her, for she says in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Most Americans are living in that Rose Garden, they think that destruction can never come here. Maybe it's been shaken or cracked a little bit by 911, uh, which was done deliberately to shake us so we'd be willing to go against other parts of the world where we could get more oil, because that's what everything is about today, is an oil war between China and India and Russia and us and Europe. <clears throat> Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. So when the beast turns on this whore, who has actually been in control up to this point of the relationship, will come very suddenly. Mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the eternal God who judges her. The kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her. And lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Oh no, oh no, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is your judgment come. The merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buys their merchandise anymore. Who is the marketplace of the world today? The American consumer. Everything you buy, almost, is made in China, Taiwan, Japan, Germany, or somewhere other than America. And that has increased exponentially in the last 10, 15 years. So when this great horror falls, whoever it's talking about, the merchants of the earth who sell their merchandise there will be upset. And then it talks about all kinds of fine things that are produced that this consumer nation buys. Verse 15, The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that has such great riches, for in one hour so great riches is come to nothing. And every shipmaster, and all the company, and ships, and sailors, and as many as trade by sea, stood afar off, and cried, and said, What city is like that or this great city? And she's made desolate. All right, this is talking about a nation that God judges in the end-time prophecies as a great whore. Ezekiel wrote during the time of the captivity on the River Kibar, as we heard somewhat about in the sermon at today. Ezekiel himself says that the captivity had already occurred, and he was among the captives, somewhere down the line from that captivity, and there's been no captivity of Israel since, or of the Jews. So this is talking about a time... When a great whore is going to meet physical destruction, and those who will not depart from her, who are the people of God, will be destroyed with her. Now, let's go to Hosea 1, and I want to tie this together with that to show you that there are two different groups of people here whom God is dealing with in terms of a great whore. We saw a physical nation who made the the nations of the the world rich there in uh, Revelation 17 and 18. And now let's see something else here that has a little bit different twist to it. Hosea 1. You may remember the story uh, from reading into the past, but Hosea was a prophet of God who opened up the Minor Prophets, uh, the opening chapter of the Minor Prophets. By looking at a people whom God was very upset with, and he told Hosea in verse 2 of chapter 1, Go take to you a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land has committed great whoredom, departing from the eternal. Now, is this talking about a physical nation? We saw a physical nation in Revelation 17 and 18 and physical destruction, didn't we? Let's see if that carries through here. Now, in part, I think that it does, but we we will see a different definition down here. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Gibleam, which conceived and bore him a son. And the Eternal said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. (laughs) Jezreel and Jehu. Let's see, I had it here. in My margin it's kind of faded, but one that's scattered or seed of God. And then uh, Jezreel means dispersion or uh, dividing, scattering, if you will. Then it shall come to pass at that, that day, a future prophecy, that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel, and she conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said to him, Call her name Loruhamah, which means unloved or not having obtained mercy. So this is a people, this is a symbolism. He married a whore, and these children are called dispersed, and unloved are not having obtained mercy upon the house of Israel, for I will no more have it, but I will utterly take them away. I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the eternal their God, and will not save them by bow or by sword, by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. So Judah... The true Judah, as we're going to see, the spiritual Judah, is going to be saved, but not by might, simply by the power of God. <clears throat> now, when she weaned lo verse 8, and she conceived and bore a son, then said, God, call his name Loami, or not my people, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. God will not take to himself a people that is ungodly simply won't do it. And that's why he used this, and that's why he made poor Hosea marry a whore, and have daughters and a son of a harlot. Yet, in the future, there's going to become a time when he's going to say, you're not my people. But in time, I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and in verse 10, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which shall be measured in number. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there shall be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. So it's going to turn around. From a people, and God says, You're not mine. I've scattered you. He will gather them. Bring them together. They'll be gathered together, verse 11, and appoint themselves one head. They'll all look to one leader. And they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brethren, Ami, to your sisters, Ruhama, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. So God is talking here to physical Israel overall, and saying, you're going to be scattered, and I'm not your God anymore, because you don't worship me. But there's a coming, a time... When I'll say she's not my wife. Now, God married ancient Israel, didn't he? Then he divorced her. When you divorce someone and put them away, there is no relationship anymore. It's gone. It's finished. Done. Divorced. God is judging physical Israel based on the old marriage covenants. She broke that covenant by consorting with other peoples, with other nations, politically, and so on, instead of with God. Now, we have done the same thing in this nation today, just as ancient Israel did. this physical nation is not married to God or to Christ anymore, is it? It was divorced. It was put away. But the terms of that covenant, which she broke have not been met. That's why in Deuteronomy it says, in the blessings and cursings chapters, in the latter days you will understand it. It will happen. So God is judging physical Israel today based on Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and cursings chapter. The terms of the Old Covenant. Where he said, I will send famine and pestilence and disease and sword and so on. And that is what is coming upon Israel. Is that what you see happening there in Revelation 17 and 18? God coming down on some people there. And if you look at definitions, but you've got to go back to the chapter, I mean the series on Babylon where we went through it in detail, I think we can prove
1: very clearly
0: that America is the leader of that Babylon today, the one the merchants look to and the hammer of the whole earth, as Jeremiah, I think, 51 puts it. No one else can hammer anyone and everyone if they so choose like we can. But it has to do with the church here as well. Plead with your mother, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, Lest I strip her naked, and set her as in the day that she was born, and make her as a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. Now, he's talking about Israel here. And when she was young, when she responded to God. Now, we're going to go back to Ezekiel in a moment, and we'll see a very similar description. For I will not have mercy upon her children, verse 4, for they be the children of whoredoms; For their mother has played the harlot. She that conceived them has done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers. They gave me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax, and my oil and my drink. This sounds like Revelation 17 and 18, doesn't it? She bought all these fine things from other nations elsewhere who profited from it. Therefore will I return and take away my corn and the time thereof, verse 9, and my wine and the season thereof, and will recover my wool and my flax, because it is all given by God, which was given to cover her nakedness. She took her clothes off and exposed herself to the world. Now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of my hand. I will also cause all her fun to cease. Her feast days, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. That could be the pagan holidays of our nation, but it could also be those things which the church has observed. I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, her prosperity, whereof she has said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me, and I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. I'll visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, says the eternal. She put on her jewelry for the wrong reasons. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her. He's going to bring a certain people out into the wilderness and speak comfortably to them, even though the Babylon of Revelation 17 and 18 is killed, destroyed, eaten by the beast. I will give her, her vineyards from there in the valley of Acor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, and as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Now here's a critical verse in understanding. It shall be at that day, says the Eternal, that you shall call me Ishai, and shall no more call me no more Baal. Ishai means my husband, not Mr. or Master. So, in the context of a great whore here, in this analogy, God says he's going to punish and take away everything, but he's going to take a smaller group into the wilderness and bless them, and they will call him husband. Now, how many people, through history and at the end time, are able, via the new covenant, at the end to call Christ husband. Revelation 14, verse 1, mentions 144,000. Verse 7 talks about how these are the first fruits. And Revelation 21 shows that they are also the bride of Christ. So this verse 16 can only be talking about the church which is entering into a new covenant, a marriage covenant with Christ. Ancient Israel was divorced because of her sins and her departure from her husband. And modern Israel, which has never been offered anything but the old covenant, also will not obey God and will be punished under the terms of the old covenant. Now, this analogy does not appeal, appeal, uh, apply only to ancient Israel under the Old Covenant, but very obviously, as an end-time prophecy, it has to be applying to the church. Because the church are the only ones who can claim wifehood under terms of the New Covenant. So, God is not only talking about ancient Israel here and modern-day Israel or physical punishment, but he is talking about a scattering of a church who has also played the harlot against God. So Revelation talks mainly about the physical nation that will be destroyed and tells his true people to come out of her. Hosea introduces a physical nation that God judges as a whore and says that there will be a few people he takes into the wilderness they can call him husband, and there he will restore blessing. So, you have two stories running simultaneously. One with ancient Israel and modern physical Israel, and one with the church and the new covenant. Now, with that background again, let's go to Ezekiel 16 and see whom God does a whore or end-time prophecy. Chapter 16, he says in chapter 15, which we went through uh, last time I spoke, that Israel is like a vine tree. (laughs) There's no wood there. You can't do anything with it but grow grapes and if it doesn't produce fruit, you simply burn it in the fire. Same thing Christ said in Matthew, I mean in John 15, 16, 17. The word of the eternal came to me saying, chapter 16, Son of Man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. So, he is told to tell Jerusalem, which was the capital of Judah at that time, Israel already having gone into captivity, and we are the spiritual Jews of today, to know her abominations and say, thus says the eternal God to Jerusalem, your birth and your nativity is of the land of Canaan, your father was an Amorite, your mother was a Hittite. Now, is that strictly physically true? No. No. Israel's father was Abraham. mother was Sarah. But God is saying here, as far as I'm concerned, I look back, and and, and you look like the sons of Gentiles. You look like the rest of the world. You don't look like what Abraham and Sarah started. As for your nativity, in the day that you were born, your navel was not cut, neither were you washed in water to supple you. You were not salted at all nor swaddled at all. You you look like a baby that was just born, and no one took care of. To look at you, that's the way you look. None I pitied you to do any of these to you, to have compassion upon you, but you were cast out into the open field for the loathing of your person in the day that you were born. I said, I don't recognize you as my baby. You look like you had no care at all. Now, did in God did God indeed take care of them when they were born as a nation? Through Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, through all the trials in Egypt, and when he brought them out of there? Yeah, he took very good care of them. But they don't appear that way. They look like they were the sons and daughters of Gentiles and that they weren't taken care of. That's what the analogy is. And when I passed by you and saw you polluted in your own blood... This would have been about the time of puberty, speaking of a young lady. I said to you, when you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, when you were in your blood, live. Now, as a baby, they were born to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But when you get into the Egyptian story, that was like coming through childhood and beginning to grow up as a nation, because there were probably three, three and a half, four million of them by then. So they had begun to grow up. Now, in terms of the promise to Abraham, we've gone way beyond that now where we have 300 million in this nation alone. And if you put all the nations of Israel together, you've got hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. So, in that sense, we're kind of at old age in terms of growth as a nation. But when they were coming out of Egypt, they were about young teenage. I passed by you. I saw you there polluted in your blood, in that sense unclean because the menstrual cycle was when they put the women out of the camp during the terms of the old covenant, which came somewhat later. But they were unclean in Egypt. They were worshiping false gods. They weren't keeping the Sabbath. They didn't even know who God was. So they were polluted and unclean spiritually there. And I told you, Live! I wanted you to live. I've caused you to multiply as the bud of the field. You've increased and waxed great, and you've come to excellent ornaments. Your breasts are fashioned, your hair is grown, whereas you were naked and bare. So she had begun to grow up as a young woman, and was beginning to look like a woman. Now when I passed by you and looked upon you, behold, the time was the time of love. She was growing into Uh, young womanhood, ready to be married, and begin a marriage relationship. And I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. So here was this young lady that was exposed to the world and living like the world and didn't know God, so she had nothing. And God says, hey, you're growing up, I'm going to cover you. I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore to you and entered into a covenant with you, said the eternal God, and you became mine. A marriage covenant. She was of marriageable age when she came out of Egypt, and that's when God made that original marriage covenant with Israel. I washed you with water. I think that's symbolic of coming through the Red Sea, which Paul says in Corinthians is a symbol of baptism. Yes, I thoroughly washed away your blood from you. The uncleanness of Egypt, I washed off in the Red Sea. You became mine. I anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with broidered work and shod you with badger skin. Uh, Mother Gaia, people would really scream here about leather shoes, but it's too bad. And I girded you about with fine linen and I covered you with silk. I decked you also with ornaments, and I put bracelets upon your hands and a chain on your neck, and I put a jewel on your forehead, or in, in the nose, it says in the Hebrew, and earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown upon your head. And you were decked with gold and silver, and your raiment was of fine linen and silk embroidered work. You did eat fine flour and honey and oil, and you were exceeding beautiful, and did prosper into a kingdom. So under his tutelage, bringing them out of Egypt. He turned them into a respectable woman. And they looked to him for food, for maintenance, for blessing. And they had some tremendous blessings even when he was giving them trial and tribulation there in the desert. Normally your shoes don't last 40 years. Normally you don't have food raining down from heaven. Normally you don't have water coming out of rocks. So even in trial and tribulation, there were blessings from God that were incredible in the way that he treated her. Already, you know, from almost day one, the marriage was on the rocks. From the time he brought them across the Red Sea, and they looked around and says, I'm on my honeymoon. Where's the food? Where's the water? Because I'm your husband, I'll take care of you. But they complained immediately. So, yes, he kept them alive. He, you know, when you come from slavery to a chosen people that saw Egypt destroyed, you're baptized in the water, God washed away all the past, And now you have a new start, a new life, a new opportunity. And the first thing you do is gripe. Let's look at this from God's perspective. (laughs) How would you feel as a new husband if you'd just gotten married and said, I do, and I love you and I will obey you and we'll till death do us part and we'll have a wonderful marriage. And Anita says, I don't like the car that we're going in. And why did you choose this motel? Or this island, or this city, or you no, know, whatever. This restaurant. Boy, it looks like we're going to have a wonderful life together here. You start griping the minute we get out of the church. But that's Israel. And your renowned, verse 14, went forth among the heathen for your beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness which I have put upon you, says the eternal God. Christ was the perfect husband, and he had blessed her. And the other nations feared Israel from the very beginning. Because it didn't take very long for word to get around to everybody that God had destroyed the Egyptian army in the Red Sea, and that he had protected these people, and he had a special care for them. So they feared Israel from the very beginning. But what did she do? You did trust in your own duty and played the harlot because of your renown and poured out your fornications on every one that passed by as it was. She was open to anybody. Now we can see how ancient Israel did that with her alliances and political machinations and her uh, military uh, treaties she made with other nations and also in form in the form of false worship, other gods uh, worshiping wrong things, pagan, satanic morality, and so on. There was a lot wrong with ancient Israel. We look at our nation today and there's an awful lot wrong with it along the same lines. But we can't forget Hosea 1 about an end-time people who are called by God in their new Covenant to call him husband, who also played the whore against God here at the end. Now, he uses the exact same analogy in Revelation 3 of the Laodicean church. It says, you thought you had all the wonderful clothing on. You thought that you were fine. You had no problems. And yet, spiritually speaking, you're naked and bare and polluted. Isn't that the same description we're reading here? You had a good beginning. I led you out of the world. And yet you didn't come out. You began to rebel. And you wanted to be a part of this society, this culture, this nation, this world. You took on the form of God. You gave me lip service as in ancient Israel. But your heart was far from me. And you retained and had concourse with the world and the society around you. And that's why he scattered the church. Just as he scattered ancient Israel, and he's about to scatter modern, physical Israel, he has first scattered the church, because we have not been wholehearted in our relationship with God. And we have retained a part of the world. We're not willing to come out of it. he says, if we don't, will become a part of her plagues. Much of the church is going into the Great Tribulation and partake of those plagues. Only a faithful remnant, who will be totally faithful to God in every way, is he going to bring out in the wilderness and bless and let them call him husband. It will be a small minority. We never really came out of the world We still follow this financial patterns, indebtedness to the banks, the central bankers of the world, by being in debt, staying in debt, taking on more debt. By, in that sense, lust and covetousness, desiring things that we couldn't afford, and going ahead and buying them on somebody else's money and then paying them interest. Simply wrong. It's not God's way. God would have us wait patiently until we can afford something and then have it. But the society has come to the point where it's almost impossible to own a house, maybe even a car, a nice one, without taking on that debt. We're slaves to the system, and we need to be finding ways to get out of that system. Now, here in this little village, we've come a long way toward accomplishing that. Because I don't know of anybody out here who has a mortgage with a bank for this world. We may still owe some on houses, but we're not paying interest on them. And we're making a very, very low payment. Maybe 100 a month or 200 a month or something like that. Until the one who made it possible for you to have it, who needs your prayers right now, he's doing, not doing well. Andy, he had a lot to do with some of you having homes today that are not mortgaged to the world and its banks, And we have a deep thankfulness and gratitude toward Andy that we need to appreciate. He's very old, 84 now, I guess, or 5, is it now? And uh, his mind is basically gone, and right now he's not doing real well physically. Maybe it will be getting him home, I don't know. But... We do owe him a great deal that he has helped us get away from the system. And we're not paying big payments on our land or our houses. Most of us own our houses now free and clear. Most everyone out here. Nearly everyone. A few few do not, but you're getting close. So, God has given us much. He's given us an opportunity to escape the ways of this world. And its system financially is going to crash very soon and be worthless. And we need to be close to God and doing things His way, managing our money properly instead of just buying this and buying that according to our desires so that we can provide those things for our families that need to be provided without going into debt. We have to control ourselves. God says that of Israel. You are not to be borrowers. You are to be lenders. We should be, ultimately, in a position where we can give instead of borrow to fulfill our desires and our lusts and our wants. We should be getting out of debt. But we're entangled in this system. And it's a hard process to get out of it. And it's hard to learn to manage your money When you have managed it like the world, and that is very little management, to control yourself so that you don't waste it and spend it on things that are inconsequential so that you can have those things that maybe are okay, that are needed in order to shelter and transport your family and so on. We need to be moving in that direction. I'm not trying to get on anybody in particular. I'm just saying there are a lot of directions we were in in the world that we need to be working our way out of. Financial is one area, entertainment is another big area, where we've imbibed the rhythms and the sounds and the sins of the world. The church never came out of that, did it? No, it didn't. We went to Sabbath, we went to the feast. But we maintained the culture of the world. We dress like the world. I saw recently on the news that they had a fashion show in New York, and now they're going to come out with little short skirts about like that, worn with black tights or tights of some kind. Well, you know, they, they change things. Maybe that won't catch on. Maybe it will. I don't know. But we're slaves to what they want us to wear, what they want us to hear, and what they want us to see. Slaves to their financial system. Slaves to their food system. And the junk and the chemicals that are destroying our health. And we have trouble coming out of that, don't we? The church never really got out of it. And one of the ministers says, well, it doesn't matter if you have a little white flour and a little white sugar and so on. Uh, That's not spiritual. So the church, which was headed in the right direction toward eating things that were natural the way God made them, did a U-turn and headed right back into the way the world did it and went almost wholeheartedly back into that. And now we have the job of seeing a church that has been scattered because of our relationship with the world instead of our relationship with God and He is destroying the church. We must turn it around and be different. This nation is about to be punished, and they won't turn it around and be different. God said, don't even pray for this nation. Because it is going to happen. They will not repent. We would save it if we could, but it can't be. So we as a church have played the harlot, and we are in no position to call God husband. Unless and until we begin to look a lot more like God than we do like this world. That's what he's boiled it down to here. He said, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know our abominations, be it spiritual Jerusalem or physical Jerusalem. So we have to take it. I know we've been over this before. and I get to the point where I think, man, I hate to go over that again and again and again. But God says it over and over again and again and again. And we're to be a part of the regathering out in the desert where God begins to bless. I think that's a worthy call, Then we need to make the changes that need to be made. And it's hard. God uses the analogy of a woman here in a relationship to her husband. But it's all these things that are ungodly that he's talking about. Whatever subject there might be. Almost everything the world does is backward and wrong and counterfeit of God's way. Almost everything they do. He's going to give us a pure language someday. We have to be careful with language because there, there is paganism throughout our language. Through all languages. It goes all the way back to total paganism. People say good luck or good fortune, you know. What do you use? Well, God be with you, I guess. Would we'll be better. I don't want luck. I don't want fortune. I don't want to eat fortune cookies or go to Sears or read the what do you call it? It's been so long now this astronomical thing. The who? The horoscope. Don't read that. Don't go there. I want to go there ungodly. It's satanic. Some of the leaders of this nation go there. We don't want to go there. So we've been available to the world in every way. And we've invited the world into our lives. Through their stores, through their TVs, through their radios, through their, you name it. We've invited them in. We've spread our legs and says, Have any world. That's the analogy God is using. Of your garments you did take and deck your high places, religious places with different colors, and played the harlot thereupon. The like things shall not come, neither shall it be so. So, he says, religiously, economically, physically, every way, we've opened ourselves up to the world. Verse 17, you've also taken your fair jewels of my gold and of my silver the precious knowledge that God gave us, which I have given you, and made to yourself images of men, and did commit whoredom with them. So we turned those wonderful things that God began to reveal to us into common everyday things, and they've even made monuments in Washington to a male felix, images of men, and did commit whoredoms with them. So it's political as well, and whether you have a erect washing uh, Washington Monument, or you wear it limply around your neck, it's about the same thing. And took your broader garments and covered them, and you have set my oil and my incense before them. My meat also which I gave you, fine flour and oil and honey wherewith I fed you. You have even set it before them for a sweet savor, and thus it was, says the eternal God. But we've not really departed from the world, even as the physical nation has not departed from it. Moreover, you've taken your sons and your daughters whom you have borne to me, and these you have sacrificed to them to be devoured. Is this of your whoredoms a small matter? Is this just a little thing we're talking about here? Or is this something big, major, huge? That you have slain my children and delivered them to cause them to pass through the fire for them. They literally sacrificed them to Molech, sun god, before, and did sun worship. Well, today we still have Sunday and Eastar and sun worship. And we worship he which represents the sun. Should be Christ representing light and brightness, but we have a counterfeit God, Satan, who has established himself as the God of light. And in all your abominations, verse 22, and your whoredoms, you have not remembered the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and were polluted in your blood. We need to think back on some of the things that we were doing in the early years of the church when we were teenage, 50s, 60s, when we were coming out of the world, out of her entertainment, out of her foods, out of debt. The church was headed in that direction, and then we did an about face and went right back into the world, even though we kept the Sabbath and the Holy Days. Verse 23, and it came to pass after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, says the eternal God. To to us, these things may not seem important. People might say, well, you're making a big deal out of food. You're making a big deal out of clothes. You're making a big deal out of what we watch and observe. No, God's making a deal. When God says, woe, woe, it's him that's making the big deal, brethren. That you've also built to you an eminent place and have made you a high place in every street. Oh, we worship God. They say that in the church. But they don't follow him with their whole heart. They're divided. And you can't worship God in money or God in man or God in Satan. You can't do both. Christ said that very clearly. You've built you a high place at every head of the way. and You've made your beauty to be a horde and have opened your feet to everyone that passed by and, com- and multiplied your hordes. Nations done it with all the nations of the world. The church has done it with the culture of the world. You've also committed fornication with the Egyptians, your neighbors, grave of flesh, and have increased your whoredoms to provoke me to anger. Egypt represents sin. The church has gone way into sin. Behold, therefore, I have stretched out my hand over you and have diminished your ordinary food and delivered you to the will of them that hate you, the daughters of the Philistines, which are ashamed of your lewd way. People look at America and they look upon us as degenerate and satanic, and they're right. But we've also diminished our good spiritual food, and it's hard to find now, isn't it? God says he'll spend a spiritual famine because of our sin. And it's getting very, very difficult to find truth. People say, well, I go to this church or I go to that splinter or whatever, this group or that, but I'm not fed. I don't get much strength. I don't get any power. I don't get any nourishment from it. I'm not told what I need to do. So we've diminished our ordinary food. We've gone the way of the world. Verse 28, you played the whore also with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Yes, you have played the harlot with them, and yet could not be satisfied. We went pell-mell after the world, and yet we're still unsatisfied. You have moreover multiplied your fornication all the land of Canaan, Gentile countries, unto Chaldea, and yet you were not satisfied therewith. <coughs> How weak is your heart, says the eternal God. That's what it all boils down to. He says, Turn to me with your whole heart, And yet we've been weak-hearted. We haven't worshipped God with our whole heart, and we've gone after the world and its ways. So God says, your heart isn't right. It's weak. It isn't powerful and strong and beating strongly for God. Seeing that you do all these things, the work of an imperious, whorish woman. And that you build your imminent place in the head of every way. And make your high place in every street. Call yourself a Christian nation. I read just last night there were some Jehovah's, no not Jehovah's Witnesses, Gideons, who were passing out Bibles in a public street near a school. And they were arrested in Florida yesterday. So any pretense even of worshiping God is going away. We're going completely the way of the world and these Gentile nations of Satan. So you've, you've done these things and call yourself religious. You've got all these religions, but you've been as a harlot and that you scorn hire, higher. But as a wife that commits adultery, which takes strangers instead of her husband, they gave gifts to all whores, but you give gifts to all your lovers and hire them. You're worse than a whore. She at least gets paid. What does America do? She takes all these political lovers and then gives them money. They don't pay us. We pay them. It's worse. You hire them that they may come to you on every side for your whoredom. I said I'd hurry, didn't that would hurry did not i well, let's, let's quickly finish this. The contrary is in you from other women in your whoredoms, whereas none follows you to commit whoredoms. and that you give a reward, and no reward is given to you, therefore are you contrary. Wherefore, O harlot, hear the word of the eternal. God brands Israel, both ancient and modern, as a harlot in no uncertain terms. Now, should that and does that tie in with Revelation 17 and 18, where God calls someone a great whore at the end, who has made the nations rich, consume their products, and the merchants will all be upset, who is also described in Jeremiah as the hammer of the world, among other things. So he says to this nation, and based on Hosea 1, where it talks about an end-time people is my husband, he's talking to the church as well. So it says, listen up, physical Israel and spiritual Israel. Thus says the eternal God, because your filthiness was poured out and your nakedness discovered through your whoredoms with your lovers and with all the idols of your abominations, and by the blood of your children, which you did give them, we've let our, this society, this culture, take over our children. We are responsible. We are culpable. We are not to allow that to happen. We are to stop it if we have allowed it to happen. We cannot give our children to this world. Behold, therefore, I will gather all your lovers with whom you have taken pleasure, and all them that you have loved. Now, this is speaking to Judah and Israel and all them that you have loved, with all them that you have hated. I will even gather them round about against you, and will discover your nakedness to them, that they may see all your nakedness. God is going to cause all our friends and enemies around the world to form a coalition against us and destroy us. Does that sound like Revelation 17 and 18? And this is directed specifically at us, at those who would be the husband of God. I will judge you as women that break wedlock and shed blood are judged, and I will give you blood and fury and jealousy, and I will also give you into their hand, and they shall throw down your imminent place, break down your high places, they shall strip you also of your clothes, they shall take your, your fair jewels, and leave you naked and bare, They shall also bring up a company against you, and they shall stone you with stones, and thrust you through with their swords. And they shall burn your houses with fire, and execute judgments upon you in the sight of many women, the rest of the nations, the rest of the churches. And I will cause you to cease from playing the harlot, and you shall also give no hire any more. So I will make my fury toward you to rest, and my jealousy shall depart from you, and I will be quiet. And we'll be no more angry. When he gets done with his punishment, he's going to back off and not be angry with us anymore. Be it the church or be it the physical nation. Because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have fretted me in all these things. Behold, therefore I also will recompense your way upon your head, says the eternal God. But what we have done as a church and as a nation has been to fret God or frustrate God. Upset God. Do you ever get upset and frustrated and fretful toward anyone because of the way they're doing things or whatever, their attitudes? That's the way God's been with us. And when he gets done scattering the church, he's going to gather a remnant and there'll be peace in the church. And there'll be peace in the nation after 90% are killed and the millennium starts and everybody has a different attitude. That's what it's going to take. So God's frustration and fret is going to go away because people will turn to him with their whole hearts. You he won't commit these abominations in anymore, he says, verse 43. 44, behold, everyone that uses Proverbs shall use this proverb against you, saying, As is the mother, so is her daughter. Your, your mother's daughter that loathed her husband and her children. Who did God say we look like our mother was? Hittites and Amorites. You are the sister of your sisters, which loathe their husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite, and your father was an Amorite. He goes right back to verse 1. Or where we was lost back there, verse 2, 3. Your elder sister is Samaria. She and her daughters that dwell at your left hand, and your younger sister that dwells at your right hand is Sodom and her daughters. The ones we're closely associated with were the Gentile Samaritans who replaced Israel, the Hittites and the Amorites, and Sodomites. What do we see in our nation today? Incredible increase in sodomy, homosexuality, or what we politely call gay. Abominable, not gay. Verse 47, Yet you have not walked after their ways, nor done after their abominations, but as if that were a very little thing. You were corrupted more than they in all your ways. We have become worse than the world as a nation, and we're headed that way as a church. As I live, says the eternal God, Sodom, your sister, has not done she nor her daughters as you have done you and your daughters. We should have known better. That's part of it though we're headed the same direction Sodom and Gomorrah were. Behold, this was the iniquity of, the, of your sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Became totally selfish, desiring that which was pleasurable, and went the way of all kinds of abominations. They were haughty, arrogant. No one was going to tell them what to do and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. Sodom and Gomorrah, God saw good to destroy. This nation, he sees good to destroy. And this church that we have been in, he is destroying before our very eyes. He continues to scatter and grow more like the world instead of less like the world. He is calling on a remnant of people to go the other direction, become more like him and less like the world. And you and I are being given that opportunity by reading these scriptures and understanding that. We're being given opportunity that most of the church currently is not getting. If nobody's going to tell them, they're not going to discern it, and they're going to continue to drift just like the rest of the world and in the direction of the world. And that's where most of the churches are going today. We need to be thankful. That God has revealed the understanding of these things to us so that we might overcome it, come out of it, and not go into the tribulation. So that we can call him husband in the wilderness. Verse 51, neither has Samaria committed half your sins, but you have multiplied your abominations more than they, and have justified your sisters in all your abominations which you have done. We're still part of the church, everything's Okay. So we justify ourselves. You also which have judged your sisters, bear your own shame for your sins, that you have committed more abominations than they. So it doesn't do any good for one group to call another group bad. We're all the same. They are more righteous than you even. Yes, do you confounded it also and bear your shame, and that you have justified your sisters. When I shall bring again their captivity by the captivity of Sodom and her daughters, and the captivity of Samaria and her daughters, then will I bring again the captivity of your captives in the midst of that. So God is going to begin to draw us back. That you may bear your own shame and may be compounded in all that you have done and that you are a comfort to them. We're going to have to bear our shame if we don't repent. And we can all, the church can all say to each other, well, we were doing this and you were doing this and aren't we justified? We're still the church. No, God doesn't look at it that way. He says, you look too much like the world to me, and therefore I'm going to scatter you. Verse 55, when your sister Sodom, he calls us Sodom, and her daughters shall return to their former estate, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former estate, then you and your daughters shall return to your former estates. Get back to what God intended originally in the beginning. For your sister Sodom was not mentioned by your mouth in the day of your pride, before your wickedness was discovered, as at the time of the reproach of the daughters of Syria, and all that are round about her, the daughters of the Philistines, which despise you round about. There was a time when people looked upon America as a wonderful place. There was a time when people looked upon the church with respect and honor to some degree. That's gone for the nation, and it's gone for the church. We weren't compared to Sodom at one time, but now we are. And the world hates us, disrespects us. Verse 58, you have borne your lewdness and your abomination, says the Eternal. That's what you've done is coming back on you. For thus says the Eternal God, I will even deal with you as though you have done, as you have done, which has despised the oath and breaking the covenant. Physical Israel has broken the marriage covenant and was divorced, and they still have not turned and repented and obeyed. And the church broke the new covenant by not turning to God with their whole heart and not departing from the world, but still consorting with it. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish to you an everlasting covenant. I'll remember you When you were young, before you went back into the world and broke the covenant that I made with you. Then you shall remember your ways and be ashamed when you shall receive your sisters, your elder and your younger. And I will give them to you for daughters, but not by your covenant. So here he's talking about those who will have the new covenant, who will be the bride of Christ, the 144,000. And he says, I'll give you your sisters back, the rest of Israel will be under us in the millennium as we're kings and priests and the bride of Christ and he will give the physical nation back to us and the churches back to us in that sense but not under your terms or your religion or the way you want it to be not your covenant I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the eternal. When this is all done, we'll know God is God. And we'll be willing to play the game his way, instead of trying to use his name and do it our way or the world's way. He will only make this new covenant and bless the people who are willing to do it his way. That you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame. When I am pacified toward you for all that you have done, says the eternal God. We'll never want to mention the past again because God's anger will have been appeased. He'll be pacified. There will be peace. And after what we've been through, we're going to want to keep it that way. So we will do what God says. From then on. Well, I wanted to finish this chapter because it isn't pleasant. And I didn't want to have to go here next week. And next week we have something that uh, is very, I think, encouraging. But even in this, I think that there's a lot of encouragement in Ezekiel 16. But no matter how far we've departed from God and how bad the church or the nation has become, that when God gets done, everybody's going to know who God is and they're going to be wholehearted and do things the right way instead of weak-hearted as we have been. So, the trouble we're going through and the trouble this nation is about to go through is really for our own good. And if we'll learn the lessons, brethren, we can be in the wilderness blessed of God and call Christ husband. And he will call us life. That's what we're here to accomplish. That's the offer he's made to us. So let's try to look as much like him as we can. Let's understand and know our abominations. Let's understand where we've been spiritually and let's get it straightened out because that's what he called us out here to do. And if we'll get it done, he's going to bless us beyond our imagination.